what's the most difficult thing as an offensive guy to go against. You right. know, it's, you know, I think everybody gets excited. You see a too high look because, hey, we can run the heck out of the football. And then right. all of a sudden, there's eight guys around the ball. You're like, how did that happen? <laughs> Hello, welcome in. It's always college football. Today is Tuesday, October 4th. Thanks so much for being with us from wherever it is you're coming to us from, whether that's the ESPN YouTube channel or if you're here with us via the podcast, whether it's on Spotify or on Apple, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it really helps the show out. Leave some comments too. Those are beneficial as well. Hit the thumbs up button, whatever. Just interact with the show. That's all we can ask for. And we really appreciate the word of mouth that you've used. Our numbers are going up drastically in the last couple of weeks and we are very, very grateful to you for that. We have a great game plan in store for you today. There's one team in Southern California that's getting an awful lot of attention, but the other team in Southern California is also starting to finally get some much needed attention. The UCLA Bruins are undefeated. And finally, after last week's performance against Washington, people are finally starting to take notice. We've been paying attention all along. That's why we're going to have Chip Kelly the head coach of the UCLA Bruins join us here today on another edition of Always College Football. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Football season is here and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, get the 11th free. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Thrilled to be joined now by the head coach of the UCLA Bruins. They are undefeated. Coach Chip Kelly joins Always College Football. Coach, what's going on, man? Just got off the practice field. Had a good Monday going and uh, getting excited to get into meetings later on this afternoon. Now, what does Monday practice look for you? I know you are all about innovation and have done things. You're so far ahead of the curve always. So what is Monday? Are you guys like practicing on hoverboards? Like what, what do you guys usually do? <laughs> hoverboards, that would be interesting. Now we're in uh, helmets and shoulder pads. So we got a, a upper practice, um, but we'll have two seven-ons, two team periods. We got to get the bulk of our uh, first and second down game plan in on Mondays so that we can uh, – we really work hard on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we start to taper as the week goes on. I love it, man. That's I figured it would be uh, kind of throw it all against the wall on Monday and see what sticks. Um, let's talk a little bit. I know we want to look forward and we want to last week's in the past, but man, I think the world found out just how good you guys are this past Friday with with an impressive performance. And your quarterback in particular, Doreen Thompson Robinson, was off the charts good. Uh, what can you say about his performance on a big stage like that, having that opportunity, that spotlight all to yourself on Friday night? Yeah, I mean it's what he's done since he's been here. His biggest games for us have been in our big and been in our best games. You know, he played really well. We played LSU last year. He's played great both times we played Southern Cal. Um, you know, been outstanding last year against Southern Cal. He threw for four, ran for two. 
Um, <clears throat> the bigger the game, the better he plays. I think he handles the spotlight really well. Um, he's a competitor. He's one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around. Um, and the thing that he's really stepped his game up this year um, with his completion percentage, I think he's third in the country. He's almost 75%. Um, really getting the ball to the right people at the right times, making really good decisions with the football, you know, throwing 11 touchdowns, one interception. Um, I think he's doing a heck of a job in everything and everything we ask of him. Well, he certainly, I mean, he was on fire the other night, man. I mean, it was fun to watch, you know, it just, you could just tell he was locked in. It was a different level of focus and you could feel it really from the first drive. I mean, it, it was so impressive. Um, you've obviously done an amazing job of identifying some pieces of weapons. I'm not sure any of us knew, and I've watched Duke football for a while now. Uh, I didn't know enough about Jake Bobo. Uh, I didn't know enough about what he was. How, you know, how do you identify and what's your process like as you evaluate the portal? What's your process like in trying to figure out, all right, this guy's going to be a great fit for us? The first component, obviously, being UCLA is the academic part. So um, we've done a great job in the portal. You know, I think every kid we've ever gotten from the portal has come in and started here. You know, we're not accumulating depth. We're trying to improve the roster. Um, Admission sometimes out of high school can be difficult here. Um, but if you get kids that have proven it at the college level, um, that helps. And, and we've got a bunch of kids. We have a kid from Harvard on our team at Duke, right. Michigan, Notre Dame. Um, we have a Penn kid, you know, some of the really higher academic schools. Um, and kids want to get a grad degree from, from UCLA. So, you know, I think Jake's got a bright future. Um, but if Jake just enters the world right now, done playing football with a Duke undergrad and a UCLA grad degree is in pretty good shape. Um, but we knew we needed a, a, a really an, an outside receiver. And when you looked at Jake, he's 6'5", he's 215 pounds. Um, he led the ACC in receptions last year. I watched Duke a lot. Um, David Cutcliffe's a good friend, so I watched them play. And I remember they played a Thursday night game against Louisville. Everybody right. in the stadium and everybody on TV knew that they were going to throw to Bobo. And he still led – the game in receptions, you know, he's, he can make the, the contested catches really well. He, he has a, a great understanding how to set defensive backs up with his routes. Um, then he's got outstanding hands and he's got outstanding toughness. So, um, we were really excited when we could add him as one of our transfer kids. Yeah. He, he's been terrific so far for you guys. And obviously with his length, I mean, what a dynamic threat, uh, in the red zone. Uh, when you look at, at just how things have come along and, and just how your team is starting to pick up a little steam right now, mm-hmm. you're going to play against teams that are going to throw the kitchen sink at you. I mean, you look at the first few weeks, I mean, Bowling Green, South Alabama, I mean, teams that are really coming out, maybe changing their own tendencies. And by the way, South Alabama is a really good team. No one knows that, but they're yeah. legit. No one knows that. Yeah. <laughs> we that. I try to say that going in and people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, right. just watch South Alabama at the end of the year. And you're going to be like, holy smokes. There'll, there'll be contention for the Sun Belt. I think Kane's doing a great job with that team. Uh, Gus Bradley's son is a transfer quarterback from right. Toledo. Right. I thought he played outstanding. They have a couple of receivers that when you, when you watch them in pregame warmup, they can play for any team in the country. Um, they're, they're doing – I know it's down your neck of the woods, but they're doing a heck of a job. That's a really, really good football team. They're, they're legit, man. I've Kane, the way he layers pressures, and you mentioned Carter Bradley. I mean, he's he, they're really, really good. So, I, But I am curious because if I look at just how well your team has played outside of last week, outside how well have y'all played in the second half of football games, what is it about y'all's process about being able to adjust and, and make adjustments and identify, all right, here's what we got to do in the second half because y'all have been flat out rolling folks in the third and fourth quarter of football games dating all the way back to last year. What What is it that you guys do? Well, I think how we condition. So I think, um, you know, we train at a really, really high level. 
I think we go, we try to go into the game, every game we play with more energy than our other, than, than our opponents. I think that's the product of a good perfor- football performance um, program um, that you have more energy than, than the teams you play against. Um, and then I think our coaching staff does a really good job and we have a system in both sides of the ball um, in all three phases of the thing where we can make adjustments and we can make tweaks. There's a lot of if thens, you know, if they're going to do this, then we need to do that. And our kids can speak the language. You know, we don't just have a battery of plays. We have a system that's involved. Um, and then we have players that really understand football. And we teach it conceptually. So our players will be the first to tell you coming off, hey, coach, we're getting a little bit more to cover two. We need to run this, you know, and, it, and they're on the same page in terms of making the adjustments that we are in terms of making the adjustments. So um, I think because of how we teach, and, and we take a lot of pride in our teaching system here um, and the systems that we run that have the flexibility um, to actually um, what the defense is giving us, I think has really helped us. And I think our conditioning has really helped us. Uh, another guy that is that is not one that I knew a whole lot about coming into the season, but man, has he been just sensational for you guys. It's Leatu Latu. And to see just how you move him around and feature him and how he's constantly able to create situations to put pressure on opposing mm-hmm. quarterbacks. It's just been phenomenal, man. What can you say about about him and, and how you guys are using him to make sure that his best attributes shine? Yeah, he's a tremendous athlete. He's 6'5". He's 275. He runs 21 he's miles He's 275? Yeah. Golly, he doesn't well, look it. Two, he's probably 260. <laughs> he's probably about 268 right now, but he, wow. he, he doesn't look it. He's lean. Right. Um, he's, he was a top 100 recruit coming out. Mm-hmm. We recruited him very heavily. He went to Washington. Um, and then got injured and they medical them and said he couldn't play anymore. Um, but his doctor um, was the same doctor that Peyton Manning had is actually a team doctor of ours. Um, and they cleared him. So we got him um, at the same time. He was playing rugby for the last year and a half. And they said he wasn't couldn't play football, but he was playing rugby with no pads. And he, he's a great kid. He's like, Coach, I'm playing rugby full speed. I don't understand why they won't let me play football. So. Um, we missed on him the first time, but we got him the second time. Um, and he's just such a smart football player. I think there's a lot of his rugby background has really helped him because he's got a lot of skill. He can play on the edge, but he can also be in a scrum. So he can play three technique. He can play nose. We can try to get some matchups. Um, our defensive coordinator is an NFL guy. Ken Norton Jr. is our linebacker coach who was a, who was a coordinator for the Raiders and the Seahawks. So they do a great job of getting matchups and trying to figure out which offensive lineman to isolate and how do we get Latu singled. Um, they're doing a really good job of putting him in positions to make plays. And then his get off and his ability to flip his hips is, is as good as I've ever seen. But there's a lot of correlation between his rugby play because he's been playing rugby since he's probably played rugby longer than he's played football. Um, <laughs> but you see that uh, on the field. And I think he is he was a little rusty, so to speak, because he was, hadn't played football. But he just keeps getting better and better with leaps and bounds each week. So, you know, we're excited to see what the, what, what this week leads to with, with Latu. No, you obviously, Coach, uh, having been a head coach in the NFL and and understand some of the challenges that NFL coaches sometimes have when it comes to explanation and maybe taking for granted what guys can can understand and what they grasp. And obviously, the 20 hour rule, I mean, this is a totally different world. And yet, you go out, you hire Coach McGovern to coach the defense this year. He's obviously been longtime NFL coordinator, longtime been around the NFL, and whatnot. Uh, how are you able to know that, hey, this is the right guy for what we want to be defensively and, and doing exactly what you do, featuring Latu in certain pass rush situations? Mm-hmm. How would you know? Um, I wanted to run an NFL scheme. I looked, I think Billy came from the Vic Fangio deal, right. you know, the too high presentation, but then it's different. It changes on the snap. Um, I also know we have really smart players here. 
uh, and before Billy went to the NFL. Billy left for the NFL, I think, in 2011, um, but he was a defensive coordinator at Boston College. So he coached the same type of kids at BC for mm-hmm. a long time that we have here at UCLA. So he understood because he's been a coordinator at the college level also. Um, but we have smart kids that that want to be challenged from a football schematic standpoint and can handle what Billy and Ken have brought with them. Um, and it's really fun to see those guys starting to flourish and, and take ownership of the defense and ownership of the disguises and some of the other things. Um, you know, and you're always just trying to see what is – What's the most difficult thing as an offensive guy to go against? You right. know, and it's, you know, I think everybody gets excited. You see a too high look as, hey, we can run the heck out of the football. And then right. all of a sudden there's eight guys around the ball. You're like, how did that happen? You know, when it was, when you start to study what Vic and Brandon Saley and some of those guys were doing, you know, that was really the route that I thought we wanted to go in. Um, we had been playing really, really good rush defense here for the last couple of years, but we weren't great at pass defense. Um, so we, we wanted to shore up kind of our coverages and some of those things. And, and Billy and Ken, um, you know, kind of hit the ground running with that. And I think our kids have really benefited from that. We had, we had Washington come in last week. They were the number one passing offense in the country with Penix. And, um, you know, we picked them twice in the first half. Um, great disguises, one by a safety, one by a linebacker that I think really helped us. You know, and that was really the difference in the game is that we were plus two in the turnover deal. And it was one of those games where both offenses were good, but whoever get the most stops was going to win the game, and we got more stops than they did. Yeah, well, not only that. I mean, Penix had come into the come into the game having not been sacked, Coach. And I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I don't recall exactly how many times y'all got home, but it never felt at any point like he was really in rhythm outside of maybe a few times in the first half. So, uh, beautiful performance from you guys. Obviously, last week on both sides of the ball. I've always been curious since I watched you guys last year and really studied. First of all, I don't know how you do some of the things you do offensively. It's like one side of the offensive line's running one 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 run play, the other side's running another play. It's like it's mind blowing to me just how good your scheme is in order to run the football. So, uh, how did you come up with that and just the different variations and the schemes that you now are using on a week to week basis that make it so hard on opposing defenses? Yeah, uh, a lot of trial and error. There's there's a lot of things that have been tried that didn't work. Um, but I think it goes back to we do, you know, even both defensively and up, we have really smart kids here. So you can teach concepts and you can teach things to them. And then you can piece things together like, hey, you guys are doing this, but you guys are doing that. And they, they handle it. And they're really smart. Um, they're smart up front. The quarterback is smart. The receivers are smart. Um, and then we just kind of mix and match it. You know, I've always believed that, when you're putting things together, especially in the run game, the offensive line has rules, the backs have paths, and the receivers have concepts. And then if you mix and match the paths, the rules, and the concepts out wide, you, you can give a lot of different presentation, but it's not that hard for the for the for for every individual group. It's just our job as coaches to kind of mix it together the right way. Um, and I think our players handle that really, really well. Well, if you guys, uh, we have a lot of coaches that watch. If you guys want clinic tape, watch UCLA. Okay, if you're trying to run the football and want to be creative and be ahead of the game, Coach Kelly does it as well as anybody. Coach, we'll get you out of here on this. Obviously, huge game this weekend. You know what? What's the message to the guys in order to put two great performances together? Last mm-hmm. week was great performance against a quality competition. Does it get any easier? Here you are this week against another team with legitimate playoff hopes. So, what's been the message nope. to the guys, and how do you keep them dialed in and keep the pedal pressed? Yeah, we've, we have, we've had the same message. Um, we talk about climbing a mountain, but we talk about climbing 12 mountains. So every week we start at the bottom of a new mountain. You know, it's not, you know, some people use the analogy, there's one mountain for the season and, you know, you're five game in. So you're, you know, you're, you're almost halfway there. That's not the way we look at it is each week we treat as a season, um, whoever the opponent may be, 
um, we're preparing for their scheme and their personnel. And then really besides that, they're nameless, faceless opponents. You know, we don't really get involved with, hey, they're ranked this or they're that. It's just, you know, they're, they're, their strong safety is a really good player, number eight. Um, Clark Phillips, number one, their nickel corner is maybe as good as secondary kid in the country. Um, you know, we're matched up on individuals um, and we're trying to exploit their scheme and their personnel. And, and that's really it. And I think our kids do a really good job of compartmentalizing each week. Um, there's not a whole heck of a lot of carryover. You know, one of the unique things about college football is um, I don't think there's a lot of momentum anywhere more. You know, you, you have a big week one week and then all of a sudden there's a dud the next week. And I think, um, you know, I think some people get too emotional or too high after a win um, and, and they don't come down. You know, I think you have to be able to divorce what happened last week, whether it be a win or a loss and be able to be, you know, really I'm neutral and started square one on day one, which is Monday, you know, and that's how our work week starts. So our kids come in, you know, we put the game to bed and then we go right into install meetings, you know, so we have a half hour team meeting, a uh, half hour meeting starts with a quick team meeting. And then we, we buzz through the game real quick, then it's done. And now it's on to the next opponent and it's, it's install coordinators in the room going over personnel, going over scheme. And then we're on to the next thing, you know, and I think our kids have learned, um, to compartmentalize each week and really treat each week as a season. And then once that game is over, um, you know, you can enjoy it, um, have fun in terms of what it is because we play on Saturday. But by the time Monday morning rolls around, we're ready to go. And it's a lot more like, you know, the, the approach you played in the NFL, Greg, the same thing is it is such a long season. Right. That, that <laughs> you gotta you got to really kind of understand that every Monday has got to be a good Monday and every Tuesday has got to be a good Tuesday. And that's how it builds. And when we win, which we have the last five weeks um, is because we've had good Mondays and good Tuesdays and good Wednesdays. And that allows us to play well on Saturday. Well, it's, it's been phenomenal to watch coach and the improvements that we've seen week to week to week uh, are phenomenal. So we look forward to seeing the game against Utah this week. We know you guys will have uh, be ready to rock and roll on Saturday and, and best of luck, man. Congrats on an amazing start. All right, Greg. Thanks buddy. Anytime. All right. Thanks appreciate so much, it. Coach. Really appreciate you, man. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, great visit there with Coach Kelly. Really appreciate him taking the time. I know he's super busy, but my goodness, they have another big game coming up this week. So the fact that he was able to carve out a little bit for us certainly means a lot. All right, let's move our attention to the wonderful listeners. And appreciate you very much interacting with the show the way you have up to this point. We've been stockpiling questions from the mailbag, so it's time to get to them a little bit today. You can hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Submit a mailbag question. We'll get to it 
at a later date, hopefully later this week, maybe even next week. So submit the mailbag question. If they're still appropriate, we will hit them. That's for sure. So Coops, let's kick it off. All right, we're going to start off with your favorite team, Oklahoma State. Tim in Oklahoma. Do you think that Oklahoma State can sustain their play? And who on their schedule has the best chance to beat them? First of all, uh, I finally got around. I told you that I would get around to the tape at some point. I finally got access to it on Sunday night. was able to watch it on Monday morning. So I feel very caught up on where Oklahoma State is relative to their performance last week. That was a terrific performance. And obviously in cruise control. And then Baylor started to make it a little interesting as the game went along. But either way, great performance all the way around by the Pokes. I think they are the team to beat right now in the Big 12. I know it's not saying that much. I mean, we're so early in the Big 12 season. But right now, tell me, as long as that defense continues to play pretty well, and I thought they played admirably well on Saturday, if they can play like that, what's to stop Oklahoma State from potentially making a college football playoff run? And if we're really going to look at it that way, I think this team has that type of ceiling. Now, difficult games remain on the schedule, but you just knocked off a team with the second longest home win streak in the Big 12 at their place. So clearly you're a team that can go on the road and handle the environment and do so remarkably well. You also have avenged the loss from last year in the Big 12 championship. Ironically enough, you as Oklahoma State Cowboy fans have actually beaten seven of the last eight AP ranked opponents that you've played. You know that one loss? That's right. It was in the Big 12 championship game against the Baylor Bears. So I look at this schedule and you've already checked the boxes. You can go on the road. We know that. You also can play well against top tier competition. Two pretty good starting points and you might have a Heisman Trophy contender at quarterback. So where should you be concerned? I think the trip to TCU is a difficult one. Remember TCU, how they played last week against Oklahoma. You see what Max Duggan's doing. You see how that offense is starting to really rev their engine. Defensively, still a couple things I think they need to iron out, but that's a difficult road trip that's coming up here just 11 days from now on October 15th. And if we're going to take it one step further, you know the road trip to Oklahoma for Bedlam, regardless of where Oklahoma's at. Will Oklahoma be as good as they've been in years past? Probably not, but you know it's Bedlam, and you know it's on the road, and you know whether you want to acknowledge it or not, Mike Gundy does not have the best track record of playing in Bedlam. All right? There have been several instances in which they've had an equal to or even a slightly superior team, and they've come up, come up just a little bit short. So we know the track record. We know he won last year, though, so maybe things can kind of turn around a little bit and flip for the pokes here in the future. And then finally, I think this game's a tricky one at Kansas state. All right. I know at Kansas is actually the following week. Believe it or not, you play in a three game stretch. You play at TCU, then Texas, and then you're at Kansas state. All right. That's a difficult three game stretch, but the trip to Manhattan, it's a difficult place to go play. Adrian Martinez, obviously feeling very comfortable right now within that offense, and I like what they're doing on the defense side of the football as well. So the three games that I would be most concerned about if I were an Oklahoma State fan, in no particular order, at TCU, at Kansas State, at Oklahoma. You're going to say, well, Kansas is ranked. They go to Kansas as well. I get that. And yes, that could be a potential pothole. 
It's certainly a problem, obviously, especially knowing what that offense for Kansas can do. And if their defense plays like they played last week, hey, anything's possible for the Jayhawks. But either way, if I were to rank them, that'd be the fourth toughest game. But those would be the games that I would be most concerned about right now because they're on the road and they're against quality competition. All right, next question coming from Paul in Alabama. It doesn't feel like it, but is Ole Miss really the second best team in the SEC West? Well, let's go kind of by a process of elimination right now. Because if you really look at it, we know Auburn's probably not there, right? We know A&M, frankly, is probably not there either given the challenges that they're currently experiencing on the offensive side of the football. So those are the two teams right now that I think you can firmly eliminate. You can also eliminate Arkansas based on the most recent performance, even though I think Arkansas is pretty good. I just thought they'd be a little bit more competitive. And I thought their offense, with the exception of that quarter and change there, end of the second, middle of the third, that was a great run, but we didn't see it all the way around. So that's something I think that needs to be taken into account. Can you eliminate them just yet? I think you can make a case to, but probably shouldn't because I still think that team is very dangerous. So two teams that I think for sure that we can eliminate as far as the second best team in the SEC West. One is A&M. The other is Auburn. Where is LSU in the fold? I personally, having called three of their games and seeing them up close, think that they can grind you out, think that they can get victories but it's probably not going to be a team that's sitting there at 10 and 2, 11 and 1 at season's end. I mean, I think 9 and 3, 8 and 4 in that vicinity knowing they still have an awful lot of meat on the bone. Tennessee this week, Florida still on the on the list. Bama is still on the list. Ole Miss still on the list. A&M still on the list. All those teams and all those games are potentially losable. For the LSU Tigers, I think nine and three in Brian Kelly's first year would be a pretty dang good accomplishment. But would nine and three be good enough to have them sitting at number two in the SEC West? I think by a process of elimination, you can make a strong argument in favor of Ole Miss. However, when I look at that game last week, yes, there were some bright moments. There are things that I love about Ole Miss's team, but I actually felt like they came out of that one a little bit more fortunate than most Ole Miss fans might want to acknowledge. Kentucky had that ball on their racket, man. They were ready to pull it off on the road in a difficult and hostile environment, and they let it off the hook. Multiple turnovers there at the end of the game. They actually had the game-winning touchdown scored, if not for an illegal shift or an illegal motion, whatever they called on the slot receiver when they threw the fade back, back into the corner of the end zone. When they threw that touchdown pass, it was game, set, match, and Because they weren't lined up, because they weren't set, the touchdown was wiped off the board. It was, of course, followed by another Levis fumble. So I look at kind of everything right now with Ole Miss, and I think they were very, very fortunate to get the win last week. Hey, sometimes you have to be fortunate to win games. I get it. And ultimately, they made fewer mistakes than Kentucky, which led to them being victorious. But right now... It's a anybody's guess as to who the second best team is right now in the SEC West. If I had to pick it, I'd say Mississippi State. But then again, we have seen that Mississippi State team really struggle against top-tier competition that can really rush the passer from the edges defensively. They have yet to score a touchdown against Bama since Mike Leach has been back in the has been at Mississippi State, not back in the SEC. I mean, he's been in the SEC before, but it's been a million years. 
So he has yet to score a touchdown against Alabama. He also lost to LSU on the road earlier this season against quality pass rushers on the edges. So I think Mississippi State's the second best team, but it's very, very difficult to make an argument right now on behalf of anyone knowing that every single team in the SEC West has some legitimate flaws. All right, moving on. Pete in Virginia. Big weekend coming up in the ACC Coastal with six teams playing each other. Question is, who's the best team in the division? (laughs) Well, ironically enough, the triangle currently leads the Coastal. That's right, Duke and Carolina, both sitting at 1-0 in the ACC. Who would have thought Duke be in this position at 4-1? I certainly didn't. They're only lost to undefeated Kansas, I might add. What's weirder than that sentence? Duke is 4-1. and one. Their only loss is to undefeated and ranked in the top 20 Kansas. All right, so just think about what type of backwards universe that we're living in. I feel like I'm watching Stranger Things. All right, but it's a good thing nonetheless. Uh, it's exciting to have some new blood and credit to Mike Elko with what he's done up to this point. However, I'm not 100% convinced it can be sustained. I thought coming into last week that Pitt was still the best team in the Coastal. Well, found out rather quickly that that is probably not the case. I'm not sure what's going on with Pitt. I wish I could help explain some of the inconsistencies, but I have not necessarily seen enough to justify making an argument on their behalf to be as a division champ, if you will. I mean, that performance last week left me scratching my head, and I think it left just about everybody in college football scratching their head. The stat line, by the way, there for Pitt, 300, uh, excuse me, 400 um, total yards and 305 passing yards. Of course, a lot of that coming there at the back end. Keaton Slovis got off to a really slow start, finally picked it up, but it was too little too late. And how you lose to a team that just fired their coach against a quarterback that went 11 of 26 for 102 is beyond me. And to get gashed like they did in the run game was an eye-opening experience. That's for sure. So Pitt, I thought, was the best team. But at this point, man, it's difficult for me to make that argument. Team that I'm going to take right now in the Coastal is the same team I took in the preseason. That's North Carolina. I don't like their defense. I think they got a lot of issues. But I think they have the best quarterback. And I think I'll take a league right now that is all about quarterback play. Give me the best guy. And Drake May, to me, is the best guy right now in the ACC Coastal. Uh, Miami, I think, is still pretty dangerous, but who knows what to make of them. Of course, they will play North Carolina this week. Can Miami get back on track at home? We'll find out. They've lost two in a row, and the offense has been pretty dang bad uh, in the process of losing the last two games. So Coastal is up in the air as any division in college football. The Big Ten West might say, hold my beer, but at this point, we're not quite there. Uh, So the Coastal is a Certainly a a difficult one to kind of figure out, but give me the team with the best offense. Give me the team with the best quarterback. And I think that team at this point is North Carolina. All right, moving on, Matt in Detroit. Has Michigan done enough to prove to the media that last year was not a fluke? But I'm trying to figure out, like, who was who in the media? And look, I can't speak for everybody in the media, okay? Like, I'm responsible for my my own opinions, I am not responsible for the opinions of others. Who thought last year was a fluke? 
That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, I didn't think it was. I watched that last year's team. thought they were physical. thought they could pound you in the run game. Offensive line was terrific. thought they could really harass the quarterback and make life very, very difficult. thought they had quality quarterback play with Cade McNamara and then mixing in McCarthy the way they did. Like, I didn't think last year was a fluke at all. I thought last year was a very, very foundational, I guess, season in which you can build future success upon. So I, I'm very proud of what I've seen from Michigan up to this point. And I thought this past weekend's performance was excellent. And granted, I'm, I'm still, and like I said in yesterday's show, I'm still trying to figure out, was their defense that improved or was that the result of the ineptitudes of the Iowa offense? I'm still trying to kind of figure that out because the week before, if I'm going to be completely honest, I was a little disappointed with the defensive performance. Uh, I thought that Maryland could do what they wanted to do. They could run the football and they did a pretty good job at the line of scrimmage and they were able to get a couple guys going in the run game. The receivers, I thought, were able to create some separation. I thought that for the most part, especially in the first half, didn't feel like the pass rush for Michigan was there at all. Second half got a little bit better, but still wasn't what we've come to expect from Michigan. So uh, I, I have thought Michigan was legit from the beginning of the season. Now I'm still kind of up in the air about where they're at defensively. I think their offense is better than they were last year in a lot of ways. I think they have more explosiveness and have more capabilities now because of J.J. McCarthy's advancement. I think they have more capabilities of being able to put up great offense against quality defense. Uh, Now, are they going to score 60 on Georgia? I'm I'm not sure I'm going to go that far, but I do think that this team is more equipped to be competitive against the top defenses in college football than they were even last year. So I don't think anyone I know looked at Michigan and said, well, last year was a fluke. No, I think Michigan is very real last year. And then are they're very, very real again this year as well. All right. And Joe in Florida. This is a good one here. Usually by now, there are a few people who are Heisman favorites, but it doesn't feel like that this year. Who are your top four players in September? Uh, to me, I, I have yet to really find a defensive player that has really come to the forefront. So usually when I'm assessing the world, uh, it, I usually try to include a defensive player or two, uh, some of the most impressive defensive players I've seen up to this point, Drew Sanders at Arkansas, Latu at UCLA. Those would be two of the guys that I've been most impressed with. So they would be included on the short list of most impressive September's from a a defensive player's perspective. Uh, when you look at offensively, some of the guys that have impressed me the most up to this point, uh, I think Chase Brown at Illinois at running back, he leads the country in rushing right now. I know he's played more games than some other guys, but either way, been very impressed with what I've seen from him starting in week zero, bursting onto the scene that day, and then carrying over some of that momentum throughout the rest of September. He's been outstanding. So he's be, he'd be on the short list for me. Brock Bowers at Georgia would be on the short list for me. On an offense that kind of lacks explosiveness, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that's playing better football than Brock Bowers. Not only has he done it catching the football on big plays downfield, but he's also done it running the football. The guy's been an explosive ball carrier, and I think... If, Georgia wanted to put him at tailback. They could probably do so, and he'd probably be a pretty dang effective tailback on toss sweeps and things like that. So uh, I think he is arguably the most versatile weapon in college football, and that, to me, would garner consideration 
for the top award. I don't usually, and I'll be completely honest with you, I don't usually like talking about the Heisman Trophy at this point of the season because I think the Heisman Trophy should be a it should be an award in which we take every single bullet point of data and evaluate the bigger picture and say these guys are doing this you know if you're looking at stats to determine where your Heisman Trophy vote is going I think you're dead wrong which guy is the most outstanding player in college football. And a lot of times too, I might add, it's not the quarterback of the best team. Like so many guys, if you're going to break out the assessment of who does what, so many guys votes would go to CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Why? Because they're quarterbacks on the top teams in college football. Or maybe even Stetson Bennett this year joins that mix as well, even though he hasn't played as well in the last couple of weeks. So I don't really like the Heisman Trophy, if I'm going to be completely honest. I take that back. I love the Heisman Trophy. I just don't like how the voting process has changed because it's all about highlights. There's way too many people that are voters. And as a voter, I remember being honored when I received my vote for the first time. And then I found out all the other guys that also have votes. And I felt like, well, this doesn't mean as much as I thought it did. So I look at kind of all the guys right now. Those would be kind of the top four that I'm seeing right now outside of the obvious quarterbacks that are always seem to be in the mix. So um, it's difficult at this point. It's an incomplete grade because in September, some guys are stockpiling stats against lower level competition. I want to see what you do in September and October and November. Then I'm going to look at the whole big picture. Then I'm going to look at what your team might be like if you weren't there and then I'll assess who is going to be worthy of a Heisman Trophy vote. But either way, at this point, man, it's a little bit too early to start talking about the H word. So we'll avoid it at the, at the moment. But I gave you a, a short list of some guys that would be under cons- some consideration to make my ballot. All right. The show was done. It was finished. But we saw this a little bit later in the day and felt compelled to make sure that we added it to the show. Here's the best thing I saw today, courtesy of Nick Saban. Is there a thought of maybe putting a package together for him, regardless of Bryce's injury status? We already have one. So. Okay. Uh, we got three. Do you want us to put a new one together now, just because he might play, or use the old one? I mean, we can do either one. I mean, I'll I'll go talk to the offensive coaches and see. Um, again, you know, I don't talk to Jimbo on a regular basis, but I'll call him and tell him right after the conference if you want me to. I mean, you you guys think I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with our offense and our team? You you, you might as well make it up. I I saw today where. There's headlines in the paper that, you know, I'm going to keep it a secret what we're going to do with Bryce. I'm, that's, it sounded like me making that statement, but it, I've never said that. But it, it was there in black and white. Like, so you can make up whatever you want to make up. You know, look at somebody else's running quarterback and say they should put these plays in. I think that'd be a better way to do it. All right, there he was, Nick Saban, of course, going off. Uh, not his best blow up, 
But a notable one so far. We don't see these as often as we used to. It was almost like clockwork. You're going to get one during fall camp when he was inevitably going to be asked about the depth chart. You're going to get one in week 11 prior to them playing an FCS school because someone's going to ask him about the Iron Bowl, which is the following week, and he's going to say, well, what about this team we're playing right here? That's number two. And then number three, you're likely going to get one at some point in fall in spring practice, probably about some competition, more often than not, a quarterback competition. So those are the three blowups that you're getting every year. It's like clockwork. Go back over the course of time, you're going to see those things hold up pretty good. This one's a new one. Somebody asking him about specifics of their offensive game plan. Maybe he should just tell him the first eight plays of the game. Maybe he should just tell him who's going to be starting and just how hurt Bryce is. And hey, by the way, maybe he'll just give him the defensive plan as far as you know how he would go about trying to stop his own offense. Maybe all those things are up for grabs. What kind of questions are we asking nowadays? Like, are we just throwing stuff against the wall? Hey, uh, yeah, coach, you mind taking us through that plan that you have for your backup quarterback and some of the specifics around the quarterback run game? Yeah, perfect. Hang on. Let me draw it up. Josh, the SID, can I get a whiteboard? I'm going to show the guys exactly what we have planned. What are we doing? Whatever. I guess you have to ask the question, I suppose, or you don't. Professionals in journalism if you will. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Always fun when you guys interact with us as well in the comment section, on social media, at AlwaysCFB, on Twitter, and on Instagram. You can hit us up in our email at AlwaysCollegeFootball at gmail.com. So appreciate very much the interaction. Also appreciate every like, every subscription, and every rating that you've provided us. And for those of you that are unaware, which I was unaware just a couple weeks ago, uh, you can't rate on YouTube. <laughs> so if you're on ESPN's YouTube channel, just hit that thumbs up button right beneath the video and we'll be in good shape. For all of us here at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak. For Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. We appreciate you being with us. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.